Now, the book of Ephesians, I believe, is one of the greatest books to read, and especially when you read just the first ten verses, as we did in the scripture reading. Just reading those first ten verses lifts our minds heavenward. And as we look at Ephesians, we see Paul developing a very, uh, very interesting theme. But as we look at this, I want to think about something happened a few years ago. Nicole McCabe was a 20-something-year-old Australian young lady that was living in Israel uh, and had been living in Israel for the last few years. She was uh, with her husband. I believe her husband might have been Israeli. I'm not sure on that one way or the other. And she was... Uh, one morning as she was listening to the radio, I believe she was uh, uh, six months pregnant, and as she's listening to the radio, she hears that there has been a uh, basically a political assassination of a Hamas leader in Dubai. And then as she continues listening, they read off the names of those that are wanted in this murder, And she is shocked to hear her name being read off as well. She had never been to Dubai. She had no idea who this, uh, well, she might have known who the person was. But imagine having your name read off as a murder suspect, (laughs) along with another group in a politically motivated murder Well, what had happened? She tried to get it figured out, and as she, uh, as they found out, reporters came to her house, various things, someone had stolen her identity. In fact, not just someone had stolen her identity, but all of those that had gone to Dubai, there was a number of them, were on European and Australian passports that did not need special security clearances to go into Dubai. Now, the strange thing was that her passport was in her apartment. It had always been safely with her. But her number had somehow been taken and used even though there was a different picture. She had had her identity stolen from her. Identity theft is a big business today. In 2019, 14.4 million consumers had their identity stolen. That's about one out of 15 adults. Statistics are that 33% of U.S. adults have experienced identity theft. That's one in three U.S. adults. And according to statistics, there is a new victim every two seconds. Identity theft is a big business. Now, normally, it's not stealing your identity and your passport. Normally, it is your getting access to a a credit card, possibly a social security number. And there's lots of different ways and different things that people will use in doing this. But I would suggest 
that while identity theft is a major problem in the world today, and you read those that have gone through it, and they feel it's bigger than just being something being stolen from. It's who you are being taken. One, one account I read, somebody had actually gone through so much that they... Uh, that the person had stolen their identity, that they couldn't even prove who they were because the person had their own addresses and things like that. And it was a major ordeal to try to identify that they were who they were. But I would suggest that spiritual identity theft is even worse today. And I believe that Paul is trying to correct the devil's spiritual identity theft when we look in the book of Ephesians. And so let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul and as he was a prisoner. Now when you look in Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul is developing his theological, um, his theological reasons In the last three chapters, he is then giving practical implications of the truths that he is enumerating in the first three chapters. We're going to describe the first three chapters in particular, and or we'll look at some aspects from these first three chapters. And I want to notice in the verses we read, there's a theme that comes up again and again. And I want to notice what this is. Let's go to verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. 3 and 4. Paul begins with his beginning uh, introduction, smaller introduction than normal. By the way, it's also interesting that Ephesians does not seem to be dealing with any problems or challenges like is uh, in a lot of the other epistles. And so the reason that many believe this is because it was uh, a broader letter that was probably to be circulating among many different churches and not only one in particular. Although there are some interesting aspects about Ephesus uh, that come through in the message to Ephesians. But he begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he just begins and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What more can you ask for? Every spiritual blessing we have been blessed with. And then he introduces two things that he comes back to again and again. In the heavenly places. In Christ. We have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is available to us. It's here. In the heavenly places. In Christ. And I believe a key theme in the book of Ephesians is simply in Christ or in Him. And we see this again and again. In the very first ten verses, we see it, I don't know, maybe five or six times. 
in Christ, in Him. And he says, verse 4, let's continue reading, just as He chose us, how did He choose us? In Him, right? He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. We are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Does that tell us who we are? Paul says, before the world began, before, in some references he uses, before time began, before eternity began, we were chosen in Him. God, dwelling in eternity, looked down to our time, our age, And he saw us. He saw who we are. He saw where we are. He saw the circumstances that would shape our lives. He saw the challenges and the blessings that we would encounter. He sees us and he loves us. And he says, I want to dwell for eternity with you. I have chosen you. And the devil says, we're here by chance. The devil says we're a random collection of molecules. Is that a major identity difference right there? From eternity, the Bible says, we have been chosen in Christ. The devil tries to obliterate that from our minds. And even if we don't accept that we're just random and by chance and all of that, he tries to get us to forget that from eternity, God saw us, chose us, and wanted to dwell with us for eternity. Now how are we chosen? It says just as he chose us. In Him. What does it mean to be chosen in Him? Now, there's a lots of different issues we could look at here. But what makes our calling, what makes our being chosen special and possible? is because God knew that we would need Jesus. God did not just say, I do not believe, some do, I do not believe, we do not believe, Adventists do not believe, that God just looked at the entire 
roster of humanity and said, "Mm, I love this one and this one and this one, but not this one and that one and another one. That would not fit with the character of a loving God that we know. That would not fit for God to say, yes, I want to dwell with this one for eternity. This one, I want to be lost. And so, God's choosing, his foreknowledge is different. What is it? He sees those that are going to accept Jesus, that are going to be in him. And he says, I've chosen them. Through Jesus, I've looked down. Revelation 13, verse 8 says that he was slain before the foundation of the world. It's through him that this is possible for us. In Galatians, just turn back, we know this verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It seems to me that Paul in Ephesians is building on Galatians. Galatians lays out the difference between the true and the false gospel. In Ephesians, he is just, he's not combating a false gospel. He is presenting the greatness and the majesty of the true gospel. But what does it mean to be in him? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In him, I'm crucified with Christ. The life that I now live in the flesh, Christ lives in me. And so in Ephesians, Paul is building on that and saying, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means before time began, we're chosen. That's hard for us to understand. We know that there are something like 7.5 or 8 billion people in the earth today. We can't fathom that number. And then if you add the number of people that have lived upon this earth, we cannot comprehend the magnitude of that. And then to think that God in the billions of people, has looked and said, I am giving Jesus for you because I have chosen you. It's hard to understand. But it's wonderful to think about, isn't it? The love of God for each of us individually. The devil tries to steal our identity. 
But in Ephesians, Paul says, we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We ex- when we accept Jesus, when we surrender to Him, when we are covered by His life, we're abiding in Him. Continue reading verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians 1. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, by the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. How are we accepted? In the beloved. We're accepted in Jesus. As we're in Him, we're accepted. We might feel like we have failed the test again and again. We might feel Like there is nothing worthy in us. And that's true, there's not. But Paul says, we are accepted in the beloved. Why? Because Jesus is beloved. And when we surrender to him, we're accepted in him. And he says also that we are adopted. Continues in verse 7. In Him. Do you notice the theme? (laughs) In the Beloved. In Christ. In Him. In Him. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Not only are we chosen, not only are we adopted, not only are we accepted in Him, but we have redemption in Him. What does redemption mean? We're purchased. And He says what we're purchased with through His blood. There are times in history when slavery was more open. Still is slavery today, tragically. It's just not as open as it was. But when slavery was more open, and as men and women were being sold in the marketplace, Someone that would come and would pay an exorbitant price not to have a slave, but to free a slave.
The story is told of a slave that was on the trading block, and as the bidding rose higher and higher, he kept crying out defiantly, I won't work. I won't work. The bidding continued. And as a final bidder won and he began to lead him away, he kept saying, I refuse to work. And as he leads him away, he leads him around the corner and he takes off the shackles that bound him and says, you're free. And the man that proclaimed, I will not work, falls at his feet and says, I'll serve you forever. Jesus has redeemed us from a slavery so deep, so black, that he's the only one that can redeem us. And he redeems us. He sets us free. And the natural response of us should be, we'll serve you forever. In whom, in him, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption and adopted into an inheritance. says that in verse 11. When we recognize what Jesus has done for us, we recognize who we are. The devil tries to paint us that we're just here by chance. He says that we'll never rise higher than our mistakes and our failings. He tries to remind us of our various sins. It's identity theft of the worst degree. Because here we find we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We're redeemed in Him. As we have responded to Him, as we have surrendered to Him, and as we abide in Him, the promises of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places becomes ours. Continues in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. These verses are some of my favorite even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we're dead in trespasses, He makes us alive when we surrender to Him, when we abide in Him. 
And then it says, he raises us up together. But many times, when we think of being raised together in him, what we think of is we're dead to sin and the watery grave of baptism and we're raised to new life, which is true. But Paul here says more than that. He says we're dead in trespasses. He's made us alive together. He's raised us up together. But where does it say he's raised us up to? In heavenly places. We're not just raised to new life in Jesus. We're raised by faith to heavenly places with him. By faith, we join the 24 elders around the throne of God, seated in thrones before God's throne. Those are our thrones by faith in Him. We are seated not here in the lowlands of this earth. We are seated in heavenly places. The devil wants to make us think that this world is our home. He wants our thoughts to dwell here on all the various things that take place here. But Paul says when we are in Christ, we are seated in heavenly places around the throne of God. We're to seek those things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But he wants us to be seated by faith there as well. That has ramifications in our life. In chapter 1, we see that we're chosen and redeemed, adopted, and a part of his inheritance in him. In chapter 2, we see that we are abiding in heavenly places in him. Because really, if we're abiding in Christ, where is Christ? He's at the right hand of God, isn't he? And if we're abiding in him... By faith, that's where we are as well. Notice verse 10. Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we're seated in heavenly places with Christ, that's going to have a change in our lives, isn't it? We're, adop- we're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed but in Christ, but if we're abiding in Him, He is going to live His life through us in good works as well. It's going to affect us. We have a been chosen in Him. We have been redeemed in Him. We have been adopted in Him. And we are changed 
in him as well. The devil tells us we can't change. And sometimes we get discouraged if we've tried again and again and again and failed again and again and again. But according to Ephesians, that's identity theft. The devil is trying to impugn a wrong identity upon us. We are in him. And if we're in him, he can change anything in our lives. From the outward things, we rejoice when somebody has a a dramatic testimony of being rescued from crime or alcohol or drugs or things like that. And we should rejoice. That's powerful and wonderful. But not only does God want to change us and redeem us from that, he wants to redeem us from selfishness and pride and covetousness. These base sins that are foundational to sinful human nature. He wants to change us and redeem us from that as well. And he can and he will as we recognize our identity in him. Notice chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he continues that there's, in verse 14, he's made both one, broken down the middle wall of separation, abolished this separation between us. What is he talking about? He's talking about through Jesus, in him, we become one body. And the worldly, artificial distinctions are become fade into insignificance. In the early church, you had Roman senators, slaves, army officers that were all Christians worshiping together because in Christ... Every class distinction is abolished and you become one in Him. Paul then goes on and he talks about how we're a temple built together. Which is interesting when we think of Ephesus. Because Ephesus, the center of worship in Ephesus, was the temple of Artemis, or Diana, and it wasn't just Ephesus. It was, the te- it was the center of worship for Asia Minor. And there was this grand temple. There's ruins of it today. There's a, a reconstruction in one of the cities in Turkey. I'm not sure. It's not Ephesus. But there's a reconstruction. This grand temple was the center of the life of the Ephesians. And Paul says, in Christ 
Forget about that temple. You're the temple, one temple being built together in Christ. In Him. Chapter 3. Verses 11 and 12. According as the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Do you see how this comes up again and again through Ephesians? In Christ, in him. In the Beloved. We have boldness and access with confidence in Him. Why? Because He's in heavenly places and by faith we're seated in heavenly places with Him as well. And that's why he says in verse 20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Why? Because we're in Christ, and we can ask, we can, and he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that we can ask or even think. Can you think of some pretty big things? We can ask some big things, but we can think even bigger things. We have boldness. We have access. We have confidence in Him. Even as we have been here reading from Ephesians, Hundreds of people have had their identity stolen. But Ephesians calls us to remember our identity in Christ. Ephesians calls us to rise higher. than the estimates placed upon us by others. Ephesians calls us, yes, to be abiding in Him that we can have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're chosen in Him. We're adopted in Him. We're redeemed in Him. We're sitting together in heavenly places in Him. We can come with boldness and confidence in Him. Let's recognize our true identity in Him. And when we recognize our true identity, we're not looking at it, but in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul becomes practical and talks about aspects in our personal lives. But the first thing is recognizing who we are in Jesus first. Let's recognize, let's realize that in Him, 
God has promised the treasures of the universe to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercies and for your grace. We thank you that we have been chosen in you before the foundation of the world. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to recognize our identity in you. May we never allow the devil to steal our identity. But may we look by faith to you and recognize that by faith abiding in you, we're seated together in heavenly places, praising your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.